funny, the words to that song that you just heard, some of them were being sung about Jesus on Palm Sunday in response to him showing up in Jerusalem. Yet less than a week later, the same people that were singing and praising words like that to their king that had just shown up were screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him. And the question that we've got to ask today is how did they go from Palm Sunday proclaiming the praise of their king that had just shown up in Jerusalem to by Friday screaming for his murder? We're going to answer that today. But before we do, because I think the answer is going to surprise you, before we do, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this incredible story that we get to tell that is historically um, written in a way that, that we can trust it and we can look back and say these events actually happened. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to each one of us. You know where each one of us is at right now in our, in our life, in our journey with you. And God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us exactly the words we need to hear from you. Lord, we don't need to hear from me today. We need to hear from you. So God, please speak through me. And share with your people, and the people in this room that might not know you yet, exactly what they need to hear. In your holy name, amen. Well, I want to take you behind the curtain of the story of this triumphal entry. And I want to show you four clues that God actually gives us to reveal who Jesus was and what was actually going on on uh, Palm Sunday. Clues that everyone missed that was actually there. The ones that watched it with their own eyes, they missed every one of these clues. Now, if you remember Act 1 of, of an illusion, the pledge, you see an ordinary thing. Well, in, in our story, in the story of Palm Sunday, the ordinary thing is, is a man riding into town on a donkey. And I'm sure that that had happened a thousand times, 10,000 times in Jerusalem where someone rode into town on a donkey. It's ordinary. But if you know where to look, you can start seeing that there's something very extraordinary about this entrance into Jerusalem. So let's read the story in Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus has said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Beth Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they just replied, the Lord needs it. Don't you wish you could do that? Hey, why are you taking my car? The Lord needs it. Actually, I do, but I'm, you know, I love Jesus. Um, so, it, but here's what we have at first glance. We literally have what looks like a man getting ready to ride a donkey down the road into a city. Nothing very spectacular, but as you take a closer look, if you know what you're looking for, you discover the very first clue as to what's going on and who Jesus is. And so clue number one of what's really happening in this story is the donkey. It's always the donkey, right? It always comes down to the donkey stands out. But the ride by Jesus, riding into town on the donkey, was actually predicted hundreds of years before by the prophet Zechariah, written down. They had it in writing what was going to happen when the Messiah showed up. And this is what they write in Zechariah 9, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. 
See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In the ancient Middle Eastern world, and this is if you know what to look for, you can see this. In the middle, ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders, when they rode places, if they were riding to war, they rode horses. But they, were, they rode donkeys if they were coming in peace. If they were riding for war, they'd come on horses. If they were riding with peace, they were bringing peace, they rode on donkeys. The mention of a donkey in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 fits the description of a king who's riding in with righteousness and salvation, proclaiming peace. Rather than riding to conquer, riding a horse, this king would actually enter in peace, riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.10 describes the peace that the king would be bringing. He'd take away the chariots, the war horses, the battle bow. He would, he, he, they're gone. There's no war that he's bringing. In fact, he will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, meaning he is coming for far more than just the Jews, but for all people. And so at the very beginning of this passage, we begin to uncover a remarkable clue that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy from hundreds of years before, specifically riding on a donkey, the symbol of peace. It lets us know what was really going on there. It's not just a man on a donkey. It's actually God's visitation to planet Earth in human form to save us from our sin. But the audience at the time, they completely missed the clue that he's coming in peace. Verse 35, same chapter. They brought it, the donkey, to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, what's up with people laying their coats on the road? Again, this is another, uh, this is a, a, a second clue that's coming up. If you go to the book of Matthew, we discover that they were laying down palm leaves on the road before the donkey. And I'm just telling you, I spent my childhood going to church, and when you walk in on Palm Sunday, they give you like palm fronds, and I always thought they were to tickle your brother, get in trouble, or mess with your mom, or have sword fights, right? That's what we did with palm fronds. I never knew what that was for. Well, they're, they're for reminding us what's happening, and so that's clue number two, were the palm branches. They laid down their cloaks, they laid down palm branches as a red carpet for their king. Many of the people in the crowd, they saw Jesus, and they said, there's the king of Jerusalem. There's the king of the Jews. They saw it as this epic moment in their history where Jesus would come in and overthrow the Roman government that had oppressed them for hundreds of years, and they knew that he was going to do it by force. They should have known that he might not because he came in on a donkey, but again, they missed that. So they lay down palms, welcoming in the red carpet. What do we do on the big award shows that are on TV for all the stars? What do we do? What do we do? Say it. We lay out the red carpet. We know all about this. We do it all the time. If you watch the pre-Oscar thing, it's like, man, the red carpet is a deal. People stop on the red carpet. Everybody takes their pictures, and those pictures get shot around the world on the Internet. It's like we get what's happening here. That's what they were doing. They're like, here is our king. He's coming to save us. We are rolling out the red carpet for him. Clue number two are the palms. Next clue. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, 
the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Did you hear the words of the song we just sang? They break out in singing. They are so excited that the king has finally shown up that they can't help but begin to sing spontaneously. And what they're quoting is Psalm 118 from the Old Testament. That's written that the Messiah of God would be sent to take care of the sins of the world. And he was going to start by taking care of the sins of the Romans. Right? They're like, hey, he's going to fix all everybody's sins. And he's going to start with the Romans because we hate them. And we want to see them go down. So they're singing songs because it's finally happening. The king is here. And he's going to wipe out the Romans. Again, they miss all these clues that it's the sins of the world and that he's riding on a donkey, so he's bringing peace. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd say to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they were singing about Jesus being God in the flesh. And to them it was absolute blasphemy. Because they're looking at him going, no, he's not. That is not who's on that donkey. And you tell them right now, they better stop singing because they are, they are bringing stuff into here that you're going to get in a lot of trouble if these people keep singing about Jesus being that because he's not God in the flesh. He's not the Messiah. And they were fighting against Jesus. Again, they were missing all of the clues. But I'm going to get to this last clue in just a second because before I get to the last clue, we're going to go ahead and receive our offering because of how we want to end the service in a little while. I got about... 50 more minutes to talk to you, and then we'll end our service. Um, but we're going to receive our offering. And so, ushers, go ahead and come forward. And let me just tell you, if this is your first time with us or first couple of times, let the basket go by. We're thrilled that you're here. This service is our gift to you. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home and you're all about the mission that we're on, this is where you give back to God from what he's blessed you with. And you do it with a heart that just says, thank you, God, for all of the blessings I have been given. And I want to give back to you a portion of those um, to further your ministry and to reveal the fact that you're my king and money's not my king and, 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 and wealth isn't what I'm living my life for. It's rather it's you. And so those of you that give in this moment, thank you. Those of you that give online, thank you as well. But let me just get to this fourth, this fourth clue. You find it starting in verse 40. The Pharisees say to the crowd, try, say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, he turns to him and he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And let me just tell you, he's revealing the holiness of this moment, saying if they don't do it, Inanimate objects are going to start doing it. And you don't want that because that would be really freaky. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, speaking to the city, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. You're not seeing it. You're not getting it. All these clues, you're not being pointed in the right direction. If you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I'll tell you, that last sentence, leave that up for just a second. That last sentence, the time of who? coming to them? I want you to say it out loud. The time of who coming to them? God. He's again telling them right to them who he is. 
you're missing God coming to you. But that's not the clue. The clue is actually the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. It's another clue when he says that, because what's he talking about? I believe what he's talking about, you actually find it in the next few, few verses. When Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep, the word for wept means he literally starts sobbing because he knows what's coming. He says, Jerusalem, you're going to be destroyed in the near future because you're not understanding what's really happening on this ride into Jerusalem. In fact, they missed it so badly that five days later, we go from praising Jesus to wanting him crucified when they discover that he's not coming to set up an earthly kingdom and he offers no resistance to death. Because of that rejection of God's plan, there's judgment coming and it's going to devastate the city. Jesus sees all this and he literally weeps over the city and he describes what's going to happen. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They'll circle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. That piece of scripture is what, this is one of the things that makes the Bible so incredible. So many of the prophecies that are in Scripture, you can actually go back and research and find them in history. In other words, history validates the prophecy. Jesus said this would happen to Jerusalem decades before it actually happened. You can go research it on your own. In fact, if you're kind of a skeptic here and you're not sure about this Jesus thing, I would say go back and do the research. Because in the year 70 AD, under the Roman general Titus, 30 years after, Je after Jesus said this, the Roman army actually came against Jerusalem and built an embankment against them at the siege at Jerusalem. And it's recorded by a historian named Josephus, who is not a biblical scholar, not a Bible writer. He was actually a secular historian, he writes and tells us that General Titus, in order that he might compel the city to surrender by famine, built a wall of earth, wood, and stones around the entire circumference of the city, and it was completed in about 10 days. That's how many soldiers they had. They built an entire wall around the city to hem them in, and what he said it was for was to keep the city in on every side. Did you hear what Jesus said would happen? And 40 years later, it happened just like he said it would. That's why Jesus is weeping. He knows what's coming in the next five days. He knows what's about to happen, and he knows what awaits this city because they're missing. They're missing all the clues leading up to who he really is. And I will just tell you this, what we just discovered in the last 10, 12 minutes was missed by every single person there that saw Jesus because they only saw the natural. They only saw the natural. They missed the supernatural. They knew something exciting was happening, but they missed the clues that, that told them who Jesus was and what he was going to do. They changed from praising him on Palm Sunday to yelling crucify him on Friday, and it was for one simple reason. I told you at the beginning we were going to answer this question. Why would people in five days go from praising Jesus as king of the Jews to yelling crucify him on Friday, five days later? because Jesus didn't fulfill their agenda. How did they turn so fast? Because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. They wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome with power, with military might. They wanted Rome to pay for what they had done to them for centuries. They wanted Rome punished. They wanted Rome to fall so that they could take over and be freed. They wanted a king to do exactly what they longed for, give them power over their enemies.
They did not want a gentle servant on a donkey. And they were so disappointed and so upset that Jesus did not fulfill their agenda that they turned on him and had him murdered. It is literally that simple. And in that is where you and I are much like the Jews. Here's the key truth for today. We want the God we want, not the God who is. What is this story revealing about us and about the, the Jews? We want the God we want, not the God who is. And I'll just ask you, you ever, you ever hope for one thing and get something very different? Do you ever have your mind set on something that you were wanting and that you thought you would get and then something very, very different showed up? And I'll just give you a really simple example. A, a while back I was at a friend's house and uh, it, it was early in the morning and, and no one was up yet and I just wanted some coffee. And so they had a Keurig machine, and uh, just a little bit about me, um, I do not drink coffee for the taste. I actually drink it for the effect, right? So it wakes me up. So it takes about six to eight sugar packets and cream for me to drink coffee, to, for me to get it down my system. So I make a cup of Keurig, and you got to realize coffee every morning, that's what I do, right? Like I've been doing that since college. So I make my cup of coffee, and I go to their little sugar thing. they got all these little sugar packets. Well, they only have two real sugar packets, and I don't like the taste of sweet and low. So I put the two sugar packets in there. I need four more for this to work, right? So I go rifling through their kitchen. I know you probably shouldn't do that, but I'm like, they have to have sugar, right? So I find the little ceramic thing with the wooden spoon attached to the side of it. You guys know what I'm talking about, where sugar is kept. So I take it, I open it up, I'm thrilled. I'm like, I found it, five scoops in my coffee, add the cream, stir it up, and I literally take a full mouthful down and almost puke in a second because what did I drink? What did I put in there? Salt. I drank the Gulf of Mexico. That's what I put in my mouth. It was horrible. I had to fight back gag puking. You know how you do that? It was like, you know, and I'm like this and spilling coffee everywhere. It was, it was literally horrible. Just like that. Okay, not just like that, but kind of like that. We hope for one thing and get another from God as well. Regularly. See, we want the God that will solve our problems for us. We want the God that will give us what we want. We want the God that won't ask too much of us. We want the God that will do things our way, not the God that demands that we give him our whole lives. We don't want that God. We want Jesus to save us from our circumstances, but we don't necessarily want Jesus to save us from our sin. We don't want him to save us from our self-centeredness. We don't want to him to save us or keep us from fulfilling our agendas. We literally want to say, God, I'm going to do whatever in the world I want to do, and I need you to bless me. You be that God for me. You be the Christian vending machine. I put in a little bit of money, and I get out whatever I want. We want that. We want to be saved from our financial situations, from our family problems, from our marital problems, from our kids' problems, from our career problems. We want the God we want, not the God who is. But here's the reality of God. The God who is is really the God we need. See, we want the God we want, not the God who is, but the God who is, the real God, that's exactly the God that each and every one of us in this room need in our lives. See, the Jews, under the impression that Jesus is a king who will deliver them from their circumstances, what they do, because they think that's who he is, what do they do? Roll out the red carpet. Oh, you're going to do what we have been longing for our whole lives. Red carpet. Come on, let me, let me do that. It's, we do the same thing, right? Hey, Jesus, 
You're the fulfiller of our agendas. You're the fulfiller of, uh, of our circumstances. We want power. We want prestige. We want prosperity. Um, uh, you know what? If you're going to give us that, we will roll out the red carpet for that. But if, if, if you want to come in and change my life, I'm not rolling out the red carpet for that. You do what I want, red carpet. What, what, what you want? Nope, no red carpet. I'm rolling it back up. If God wants to dig into my character, I am not rolling out the red carpet for that. No way. If you don't want to do that, I'll give you a little red carpet. If Jesus wants to look at the stuff in my life that is keeping me from growing and keeping me from him but I like doing, I'm not rolling out the red carpet for that. I want the God I want, not the God who is. But the reality is the God we want is just not the God who is. I love how Matt Chandler says that he's a pastor in Texas. He says, we don't want the all-powerful, loving God of the universe to do as he sees fit. We want a divine waitress to fetch us what we want. And I think if we're honest, there's a lot of us in this room that that's really what we want out of God. And that's what we're hoping he'll do. But here's the reality about the God who is. He has a much bigger agenda much bigger agenda than just us. See, instead of saving one nation, Israel, from another nation, Rome, what was Jesus actually coming to do? Save all nations. Save every one of us from what? Sin and eternity apart from God. See, the Jews were just like, you're not giving us what we want. And Jesus says, you don't understand. I'm coming for such a bigger purpose. Because there are billions of people past, future, and present that don't know me. And they need to know me. They need their sins paid for. See, the God who is has a much larger agenda than the God we want. And oftentimes what happens when we realize that is we're very disappointed. And I'll just tell you, I've been disappointed in my life with God a lot. You know, you're like, well, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to say that. No, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been disappointed by God. And just... One of the biggest disappointments of my life over 20 years ago. Choosing to follow God with my life, not go down the path I wanted, which was a professional golf career, um, hopefully making it to the PGA Tour. I chose to know I'm going to go do God's thing and what God wants, and I'm going to become a pastor and give my life away to full-time ministry. Well, well, guess what? About a year and a half into that, I'm hit, by, I'm hit by a car while helping a lady change a tire and end up losing my left leg below the knee. 10-day coma, wake up, don't know anything happened, and my entire life has been turned upside down. And it's a, the, the, the longer version is another story for another day. But I used to ask Jesus, because I want the God I want, and I want him to do what I want him to do. I used to ask Jesus for years. I would ask him, I'm like, Jesus, grow my leg back. Like, you can do that, right? Like, you're able to grow limbs. I know what you did in the Bible. Look at lizards. You do it for lizards all the time. I'm like, Jesus, there are starfish. I mean, like, come on. They don't even talk. Starfish, you grow their legs back. Why not me? I can talk. If you do this for me, I will never wear long pants again, and I will tell everybody what you did. I will tell everybody that you grew my leg back, and the world will know that you're God and no one else is. That's me. I bet I prayed that prayer for five years. God, please grow my leg back. I'm not joking. I'm, that's probably dumb to tell you, but I'm just going to tell you I really prayed that, and I really believe that he might because I know he can. But I'll just tell you this. I don't pray that anymore. I don't pray that anymore, and here's why. Because the God who is knows what I need. 
The God who is knows what I need. And he's going to give me what I need, and i got to trust him for that. And I'll just tell you, I don't, I don't need a healed leg. I don't need a, a, a healed leg because when I look big picture, I know the moment that I take my last breath on this planet, when I take that next breath, I'll have a fully restored healed body. And when I look at it from that perspective, I can handle another 40, 50 years on this planet taking my leg off at night and putting it back on in the morning. I just come in a package now that says some assembly required. It's fine. <laughs> but what do I need to do? I need to trust the God who is that he knows what I need. And quit trusting myself who is short-sighted and doesn't know at all what I really need. Because God can see my life from beginning to end like a parade. All I can see is this moment in time. So some of us right now, if we're honest, we're just like the people in Jerusalem were during Holy Week. We're disappointed in God. And maybe you resonate with that. Maybe that's why you haven't been to church in 10 years, 20 years, because he let you down sometime in your past and you haven't come back since because you're disappointed because he's not the God you want. But I will tell you this, he is the God you need. And my hope, if that's you, if you're disappointed in God and you're discouraged by him not showing up in your life the way you want him to, my hope is that today maybe you will realize through Holy Week that every one of us, Jesus is all we need. We don't need any more than him. I know for some of you that just sounds crazy, but that's okay. I hope you'll stick with the journey because Jesus wants to reveal himself to you just like he was trying to to those in Jerusalem. Jesus is all we need. If you need your sins forgiven, there's only one place to go. It's Jesus. If you need hope, there's really only one place to go, and that's Jesus. If you need, if you need peace, it's Jesus. Comfort, it's Jesus. Rest, it's Jesus. If you're lonely, it's a relationship with God through Jesus. In Jesus, Israel and us was being sent the Savior we needed to take care of our sins for all eternity, not fix our temporary circumstances. And so I hope that over the next couple of minutes, as we end our service singing, just like they did at the beginning of Palm Sunday week, or uh, Easter week, my hope is that you'll connect with the God who is. Because he's not the God you want or you think you need. He's the God who is, and the God who is is who you need. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you're ready to, and you just feel him knocking on your heart, and you feel him pressing you to just accept the truth that you're hearing today, or maybe you've been coming for a little while, I can't think of a better day than Palm Sunday of Easter week to accept Jesus into your life. Maybe today's your day. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Lord, we've just got a spectrum of people in this room some of us that are just discouraged with you because you're not doing what we want. You haven't fixed the problem that we thought you would fix. You haven't shown up the way we thought would fulfill our agenda, but you, were, you keep showing up in your own way. And, and God, that's discouraging sometimes. It's, it's disappointing. And, and Lord, I know some of us in this room are struggling with walking away from you, struggling with despair. Lord, I just pray that right now over the next few minutes as we sing that you would just Give peace and comfort and strength to anyone in this room that's disappointed right now in where their life is. 
and help them to see you for who you are and you're the God that they need. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room right now that, that have never began a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray that right now you would open their eyes to see the truth. God, I pray that they would see you for who you are, their Savior that came to earth not to fix all their problems, but to save them from sin, from an eternity apart from you so that they could have an eternity in heaven. Lord, I pray that if anyone is in this room right now and ready to make that step, God, push them over the edge over the next few minutes as we sing. And God, as we um, just do what was done when you rode into town, into Jerusalem, and we sing praises to you, God, I pray that you would fill this room with your unbelievable presence and fill every heart in this place with the joy of who you are and the reality of how loved we are by seeing the God who is sacrifice himself to pay for our sins. In your name, amen. I want to invite you to stand up and sing along as...